You're listening to The Guardians of Sleep, a podcast produced by the Museum of Dreams. My name is Sharon Slavinsky. In this first season, we partnered with the Museum of London to find out how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the dream life of people living in the British capital. To admit this is one of my favorite episodes. I probably shouldn't say that we only have four so far, but <laughs> this interview was just so great. It's a double act. We're going to hear from Penny, who is a documentary filmmaker living in East London, as well as her daughter Iris, who was nine, almost ten at the time that we spoke to her. Mother and daughter have a very special bond, which extends to their dream life. I'm Penny, and I live in London. I live in Hackney, which is East London. I've pretty much lived here all my life. I'm married, I've got two children. I myself, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've always wanted to be a filmmaker ever since I was very young. And actually my mum said to me when I was very young, you know, you should be a filmmaker because you dream really lucidly. My daughter's inherited this from me. She can recall everything she's dreamed about. I've got children who are 12 and 9, and it took me ages to dream that I had children. So in my dream world, I was not a mum yet for a very long time. And then they started to be in my dreams more. It was almost like the first 30 years of my life were more formative in terms of my dream space than the life that I had since I had kids. So what, the same has happened with the COVID dreaming in that only now am I starting to dream about lockdown. Sometimes I'm in a situation in my dream and then somebody says something and says, you know, you can't do that. It spills in. But it took a while for that to happen. In a way, my dream space was a lovely place because it was a, an escape from that reality. But I have noticed that that has started to be annoyingly part of my dream. Penny is describing the strange temporality of psychic life. Or really, I should say, the strange atemporality. Freud famously said that the unconscious knows no time, which is why people from radically different parts of our life can coexist in a dream. Or why we appear as different versions of ourselves, as Iris will describe in a few moments. Freud used the German word Nachträglichkeit, or what might be translated as afterwardsness, to describe the delayed way that we process our experiences. This is partly why social scientists are beginning to speak about the COVID decade, which is to say that economic, social, and psychic effects of the pandemic are going to be felt for a long time to come. Although Penny describes her family as feeling relatively safe during the pandemic, she was deeply affected by the separation of other people from her usual social circle. I did have a few dreams, which I remember very clearly from the first lockdown. So my mum lives around the corner and she lives on her own. She's 72. We weren't allowed to see her. And she's been a big part of our lives and like looking after the kids and stuff. So that was traumatic for us. The whole weirdness of not being able to be with your mother because I started worrying about her, like her loneliness and not being touched and all this kind of thing. But I dreamt, I had quite a fun dream and I told her about it during that time. 
I said, I dreamt, Mum, I dreamt you had like a massive party with all your neighbours who are all quite old as well. <laughs> They're not the sort of people to have massive parties. Mum was like doing um, Lindy Pop and kind of going crazy and making amazing cocktails and the whole of her garden was full of people of all different ages as well. It wasn't just her older friends, it was everybody and everyone was having a lovely time. So I guess, yeah, that was a kind of wishful thinking, wasn't it? To dream that she was doing that. I've dreamt a lot about touch and hugging and being with people really close. I think my brain does make up for that lack of that lack of being with friends and being in contact. And my dreams tend to be about touching. A bit like, I know it sounds weird, like, you know, sexual dreams. <laughs> you know, you have dreams about, like, I don't know, an ex boyfriend, someone that you shouldn't really be fraternizing with. But in your dream, of course, you kind of disappear into a cupboard with them or something ridiculous. It's about something being illegal. Your dreams often are about taboos, aren't they? And things you're not allowed to do. So my dreams tend to be in scenarios where, you know, we just go, okay, let's do it. Let's just go, let's just cuddle, let's be, you know, together. You wake up thinking, oh, I wish I could do that, you know. Let's be together. I just, I love the straightforward wishfulness of Penny's phrasing. Her dreams, like so many of the people we spoke to, attest to the profound sense of loneliness and loss of contact that the pandemic has animated. Although I'm tempted to blame the pandemic for this feeling of loneliness, as my friend, the psychoanalyst Deborah Britzman, recently reminded me, loneliness is a fundamental fact of the human condition. Of course, so much life has been missed over this time. But Deborah was describing the difficulty we have in trying to build a bridge from our personal lives to what's happening in the wider public world. The paradox of how we feel deeply affected by what's happening, even when we feel lonely. For Deborah, the question becomes how to learn to live with loss and with feelings of disappointment and still speak to each other of our need for care, love, and hope for the future. This is what came to mind as I listened to Penny and Iris speak to each other. I dreamt that I was pregnant. I mean, I quite often do because I've got two children and I'm aware that I'm the age now where it's kind of the last chance if I was going to have another baby. I don't really want another baby. This is the thing in my waking life. I'm like, I don't really want another baby. But I kind of, it's again, it's that new thing. It's that thing of like examining, like having a new thing. Um, and the weird thing was that I had a dream that I was pregnant and, and, and it was like, and then I had gave birth and it was like a massive toddler. Like it wasn't, but here she is. Hi, so I had. Yeah, 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 she's the other lucid dreamer. She goes, yeah, Okay, Iris has just come into the room. She's nine, that wonderfully playful and creative and carefree age that happens just prior to puberty. She's wearing a bright yellow jumper and she's smart and funny. And you can just tell that she and her mum have a very strong bond. A lot of the times I dream like really embarrassing things happen. I lucid dream all the time so like every time I say oh you know I'm dreaming in this everything freezes and I just fall out of the dream and I wake up. Yeah I can control it it's usually like the same sort of thing but with different stuff. 
in it. A lot of the time, it's about school. It's mixed up with lots of other things mm. that have happened in the day. I have a lot of dreams about my classmates. It seems like we're older, but we look younger than we actually are. And I have a lot of dreams that I'm younger again, or like older. I don't have many dreams where I'm my age. Do you ever dream you're a boy? I always dream that I'm a version of me, but I never, I hardly ever am me. I'm always like a version of me in my dreams. Children's dreams tend to be more openly wishful, but they also reflect developmental issues. And of course, they dream about whatever's happening in their environment, just like adults do. I love that Iris describes being different versions of herself in her dreams. This is part of growing up, isn't it? I mean, having to let go of being a child and coming to terms with the various parts of one's personality. Sometimes I do have dreams that are like movies. They're really fun, those dreams. Yeah, like, I love those dreams. I love those dreams. And it's also good. Sometimes it's a scary movie. Sometimes it's a funny movie. And you like see yourself. Mm. Weird things are happening. But it's really good that you've got that thing now that, you know, when you're scared, you just wake yourself up. Because mm. I, I developed that as well. And that really helps you that being less scared when you go to sleep. Because mm, if, you, if you dream lucidly, when I used to get quite scared when I was a child. I always thought, I don't want to go to sleep because I'm going to go into a different world and I'm going to lose control. Because it's, my dreams were so intense, but well, I, you used to have that and you used to get scared before you went to bed and you said, oh, I, I, I don't want to go to sleep, I don't want to go to sleep. You like resist it. Because I feel like you'd being able to control your dreams and being to be able to know that they're dreams, not being to be scared that that's real life. Yeah. It's, it's just good to know that they're dreams. Children begin dreaming in their first year of life, but it takes several years for them to be able to distinguish dream from reality. This can be a scary time, as both Penny and Iris describe, but it's a crucial developmental process, indeed one which remains important throughout the entire lifespan. The ability to dream, but also the ability to wake up, to distinguish between inner experiences and the outer world. We all lose track of this at certain moments in our lives, but generally we're able to put a frame around these moments. I've noticed that there's more dreams where it's like you're doing stuff with other people, but then you have this feeling that you're not doing something right. A lot of the time, if I need to make up a new character in my dream, they don't have any eyes. Mm. Their eyes are just blurred out. Mm -hmm. It's just not there. And as you see the back of their head, there was like, you know, weird stuff like people in boats on the road and just weird stuff like that. You're subconsciously feeling that, oh, what you're doing isn't right because there is something going on that, you know. Like, you're not allowed to be in groups, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah. But, but you don't know the word COVID in there. In your like, dream, yeah. Like, but it's just, it's just something that's there. I've had these two dreams where I'm in this virtual world, but I'm the actual human in the virtual world. I can feel myself tapping the keyboard or the iPad, but I can't take myself away from it. I can't like look around or see what's behind me because like there's just a screen, there's nothing around that you can't move your head. And you, you had know, that weird dream about yeah, being in Minecraft. Minecraft yeah, yeah, that weird dream where I was like 
my entire like school was in Minecraft. So, so you weren't looking at a screen and being no. in Minecraft. You were in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the children are now on screens a mm. lot more. It was really interesting to yeah. me that you dream inside a virtual world now. So much of life, including school in many cases, moved to a screen in the pandemic. And I can't think of a better testament to the profound psychic effects of this shift than Iris's dream. She can't take herself away from the screen. She can't look around. She can't see anything but what's in front of her. The world has become completely two-dimensional. Penny expressed her concern about this to Iris, which led to Iris telling us one of the best dreams that we heard throughout the entire project. Yeah, it's trying to make sense of all those different identities that you're interacting with that are online because you're like whole social life now and your whole learning environment is in those spaces and your whole play environment. It's really hard to shake that off when you dream because that's been your whole day in some ways. One of my dreams was that and then we had to like have some surgery so I could go back in the womb for some reason. In my like, womb? Yeah, in your womb. It was so weird. And I was like a child, but I was like tiny. Like the but you had to baby. go back inside mummy? Yeah, I had to go in, back inside you because it was really... Didn't that be about lockdown though? Yeah, I feel like because like I was in there, it was about lockdown because like you have to go back into it. And I remember it actually got repeated many times. Like I got put back in. How did you come out again? Like, they pulled my head. Oh, they pulled your head? They pulled my head out, and then I just, like, whoop, like that. And what was it like when you came out? When I came out, like, it was all suddenly, like, really bright. Was it nice? Were you happy when you came out, or sad? I couldn't tell. I feel like it was normal, like, a lot of people had it. And it felt like that, like, oh, I was, it was my turn to have it. Like, it was, it, was, it was like this sort of treatment that seemed like normal, like the flu vaccine, but like everyone had to do it at some point. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. But I just, I mean, was it comfortable inside then? In the dream, the whole point, I was like, had the same figure, but I was tiny. So you weren't a baby? I wasn't a baby, I was a child. You just got shrunk? Yeah, I was like shrunk when I was like... the same proportions as a child? Yeah, same proportions as a child. Okay. It was really weird, and I, and I remember at, at the end of the dream, at one point, I just did a loop-de-loop-de for the final one, I was like... <laughs> I, like I said, the loop-de-loop, they like, just got my head through the vagina, and they're like, what? It's impossible not to love this interaction between Penny and Iris. And holy mackerel, what a dream. Having to have surgery so Iris could go back into the womb. And it was all very normal, of course. Everyone was doing it. It's a magnificent image of regression. But then again, I can't think of an environment that feels more protective than being inside a womb. But really, it's the laughter between Penny and Iris that gets me. Here we are in one of the most stressful times in parents' recent memory, and these two have found a way to share their inner life in a way that's both sustaining and nurturing. It's a beautiful portrait of resilience. Maybe you can see now why this is my favorite episode so far.
The Guardians of Sleep aims to amplify the work of dreaming. We hope to provide a platform for people to share the things they have trouble expressing otherwise, and to create a space where we might learn to listen to each other anew. Thank you for joining us. This season of The Guardians of Sleep is produced by the Museum of Dreams in partnership with the Museum of London and Birkbeck's Department of Psychosocial Studies. The podcast is edited by Aaron McIndoe Sproul with music by Andrew Braun. <laughs>